You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to get into the Word and uh, study, study God's Word from Malachi chapter 2. If you need a Bible, wave one of these guys down and they'll get one into your hands. Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And uh, pull out your study guide as well this morning and follow along with us to fill in the blank as we go. So uh, hopefully that'll work for you. Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless his word to our hearts this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a family in Jesus Christ this morning and to open up your word, God. We We understand that our lives need to be lived in submission to the God of this universe. And God, you've revealed yourself to us in this book. And so, Lord, we come this morning by faith, Lord, with with wanting to have a humble heart, wanting to live in submission to you and to your word. And Lord, we humbly ask that you would speak to us this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, that you would teach us what it means to fear your name and to walk in your ways. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity again. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. We're going to be covering the first nine verses of Malachi chapter 2 this morning. Sermon is entitled, Do You Dishonor God's Name? This is part two. We're still in the same dispute. It's the second of six disputes in the book of Malachi. God raises an issue. The people dispute that issue. And God lovingly responds to them with true words that are not always easy to hear. Speaking of true words that are not always easy to hear, about two years ago, there was a pastor of a large church in Atlanta, Georgia, who asked his congregation to give him a mere $65 million. Yes, that's $65 million. I'm stressing that so you guys will know how blessed you are to have me. I'm only asking for $1 million this morning. <laughs> But he asked for $65 million. Why? So he could replace his old private jet with a Gulfstream G650, which is known as the holy grail of luxury private jets. In fact, they're so hard to get hold of, there is a, year, or there is a, a, a waiting list all the way out to 2018 just to get one of these jets. But perhaps even more incredible than this pastor's request was a man who attended the church and stated... He believed it was a necessary purchase. And he said these words, How else is our pastor supposed to do his global ministry? Well, I think the Bible has one word answer for that question, right? It's called discipleship, right? (laughs) You train somebody up and you send them out (laughs) to do the work of the ministry. But, you know, have you ever maybe thought about this yourself? I know that I have true confessions this morning. It was the time I sat in the middle seat of that crowded Spirit Airlines flight, right between the bearded lady and the Incredible Hulk. And I found myself thinking, you know what, where's my private jet? Could really use one right now. There's no price too high to escape that torture, right? What was missing, though, in the life of the pastor that was and still is pursuing a $65 million G650 believe it's the same ingredient that was missing in the lives of the priests who were alive when God's messenger, Malachi, showed up on the scene 
with God's message. Those men that had been called by God to serve God's people in the covenant made with Levi were guilty of two things. First of all, they had no fear of God in their lives. And second of all, they were living for popularity. They were living to gain the favor of people. And so God raised up his messenger Malachi and he came to these guys and he confronts them. And last week we saw that they were dishonoring God's name by despising worship. Okay, their attitude in worship was an apathetic, complacent attitude. They were uh, bringing sick, blind, and lame animals to God, the great and mighty king. Remember how we saw that Malachi exposed them for what? They had a lack of relationship to God as their father, as their Lord, and as a great king. And Micah just called them on that. Well, this week, Micah is going to talk about, in in, in chapter 2, he's now talking about their lack of the fear of the Lord. In fact, the main theme for our message this morning, if you take anything out of this, I hope that you see that walking with God in the fear of the Lord and not people, that's God's will for your life. You know, several of those graduates that are up here, I'm sure you've had that question. What's God's will for my life as I step out into this new phase? Well, listen, every single one of us this morning can leave this sanctuary knowing that it's God's will to walk in the fear of the Lord. Not an unhealthy fear, but a healthy fear of the Lord, fearing Him and not people. How's your walk with God this morning? Do you fear the Lord? Or are you living to please people? These are questions that we need to face as we study the text this morning. The first point in our message is that the broken covenant brings a curse. Read with me verses 1 through 4. Where it says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Yes, that is in the Bible right there, what you just read. The dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. So called into question here, or in jeopardy here, is the covenant that God had made with the priesthood through Levi, the tribe of Levi, in the tri- out of the 12 tribes of Israel, And this covenant was being called into question, it was being uh, in in danger of collapsing, not because of God. Okay, God is always faithful. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When there's a problem with the covenant, we, we would do well to note that it's never on God's end. The problems that come in the covenant relationship are always on behalf of those Uh, with the sinful human nature. In this case, the Levitical priesthood. These priests were in a special position. You see, many times in the Torah, God had explained to them that they were his special servants. Yet, with position comes responsibility, right? With position comes responsibility. 
And they were responsible for their own personal walk with the Lord. They were responsible to put their hearts in subjection to the Lord's. And Malachi now reminds them of God's word. You see, in the Torah, God had made it clear that a failure to walk with God in a deep, profound reverence for him, that would result in a curse. Walking away from their relationship with God, God would never give up. He would not relent in pursuing these men and sending them the consequences of their choice to walk away. Now, you've got to realize that by this point in Malachi, we're talking about a a, a long period of time that has gone by where these men have rebelled against the Lord. Okay, the Lord doesn't just come in right off the bat and say, hey, you messed up in your walk with me. I'm going to rub dung on your face. You know, that's not the Lord's heart, okay? The Lord always starts off with gentleness, mercy, and compassion, And as he goes along, there's a progression there as he begins to speak into our lives and to warn us of the severity of our choices to turn our back on the Lord. And at this point in the book of Malachi, it's gotten to the point where God's saying, listen, it's gotten so out of control that I now have to do something publicly in your life to get your attention. Listen, we need to recognize that the Lord is a jealous God And because he loves you and loves me, he cannot allow us to rebel and not do anything about it. He will send the consequences of our rebellion to us. You see, God desires that his people would realize who he is and that they would acknowledge him in all their ways. God deserves that his people would honor him and love him through obedience and through giving their best. To do that... The priests needed to do two things that are listed here. Malachi says specifically, listen. Listen there in verse 2. He says for them to listen. Now that word listen in the Hebrew language is shema. And it's the same word that Israel as a people was called upon to repeat every day. It was the Shema. The the, the Shema was from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and it says this, Hear, O Israel. That word hear is Shema. And in Hebrew, it can also be to listen. And and it says, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So, so Malachi uses that word Shema, and it's an immediate reminder to these priests of what they were to be saying every day, what they were to be reminding themselves of every day, that they were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their soul. And so that, that right, in and of itself was a message that was to cut to their hearts. Listen, you're to be doing this. <clears throat> and then secondly, they were to take the message to heart. So they were to listen and take it to heart. Uh, And Jesus, talking about taking to heart our relationship with the Lord, he spoke these words of Mark chapter 12 and verse 33. He said, and to love him, God, with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Let me paraphrase that to you in such a way that makes it applicable to Christians living today. In other words, what God is interested in here this morning is not the fact that you uh, made it out of bed and made it to church. (laughs) 
God's not interested in that fact. What God is interested in this morning is that you came to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And that when you leave this place, you're committed to loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, who is our neighbor? Well, Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and basically, the, the point of that story is that our neighbor is the person closest to us with the greatest need. Anybody in this room could be our neighbor. Anybody outside of this room could be our neighbor. It depends on where we are and what God has us doing. You see, God is, has a heart for people. And that heart of love for people is expressed through you and through me as we step out of the church and serve our families, our coworkers, our community. We need to be in that business. You see, the religious life of checking boxes, you know, hey, I went to church this week. I, I read my, my, my Bible this week. I said my prayers this week. And yet your heart is far from me, says the Lord. Your heart is hard, says the Lord. You uh, insist in living in a re- in, in, or without a relationship with me. Yet because the priests would not listen to the Lord, because they would not take God's message to their hearts, what began to happen? They began to face the consequences of their own actions. And that meant that the blessings of the covenant were being removed. Did you catch that? Instead of life and peace and blessing, they were missing out on the blessings and they began to do without. Not only did they not have all of the tithes that were supposed to be brought to the temple by which they had made their living and had their sustenance, but they also began to lack enough men for the priesthood. They lost their joy. They lost their peace. They lost the blessings that have been part of their covenant relationship. Not only that, their decision to walk away from God also affects their families, as we see there in Malachi 2, verse 3 and 4. And that's our second sub-point. The curse affects our family. The curse meant that God would publicly bring shame to these hypocrites. The language there in verse 4 is very strong. I mean, God literally says, I'm going to spread refuse, the dung, from these offerings on your faces. He's saying there, that's, that's hyperbole for saying, listen, you've treated my worship like garbage. You're going to get the same treatment in return from me. I'm going to put you in a position where you're going to be publicly disgraced. Now, I, 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 if you've known me for very long, you know that one of my favorite movies is Nacho Libre. And it's just, a, don't ever watch that movie alone, or if you're in a serious mood. You have to watch that with a whole bunch of friends, and you have to be pretty tired, too. It's better to be tired when you watch that movie. But that movie has a scene in it where, for some weird reason that I, no one will ever be able to explain, but they're training for the ring, right? They're training, they're, they're wrestler, a couple of wrestlers getting ready for, you know, the ring. And uh, part of the training was to suddenly just pick up some some manure from the cow pasture and, and wipe it on one of the guy's faces. And, you know, you, you, when you're watching the movie, you're going, what does that have to do with training for wrestling, you know? But it was gross, wasn't it? It was a shocking thing, you know, to see that in that movie. And, and, but, but imagine, this is what God says. He's like, this is what I'm going to have to do to you. 
This is what I'm going to have to do to get your attention. You're treating my worship like garbage? You're going to get the same treatment from me, and it's going to humble you. It's going to abase you. It's going to put you in a position where you are actually publicly disgraced. Your sin will find you out, in other words. Listen, guys, I can't tell you how many men that have joined the ministry have grown so prideful and so full of themselves that they think they're above and beyond the reach of God's word and God's power. Yet time and time again, we see throughout history that these men become publicly disgraced, don't they? They try to mess with God the Father, a holy God. They try to treat his ministry as if it is a flippant thing, a light thing, something to be trifled with, a game, so to speak. And yet they are the ones that pay that price in public disgrace. And part of it is, is that the people begin to despise them. The people begin to realize, hey, this guy doesn't treat God's ministry the way it should be treated. This guy does not esteem God's word the way that it deserves to be esteemed. These priests grew prideful. They grew apathetic towards God. They no longer feared God. Rather, they served themselves and sought to become popular amongst the people. Malachi reminds them that it hadn't been like this when God made his covenant with the Levites. Look at our second point this morning. The blessed covenant brings life and peace. The blessed covenant brings lice. Not lice. I hate it when I do that, by the way. But thanks for laughing. It always makes me feel better. Um, No, but the covenant brings life, not lice, okay? Don't want anybody misquoting me on that one. And peace. Let's read verses 5 through 9. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And that's strong language there, by the way, when he says you've corrupted the covenant of Levi. He's saying, look, you've basically destroyed this from your end. And then verse 9 says, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. What does that mean? It means that the people could see right through these guys that were insincere. They could see right through these guys that were, you know, had no relationship with the Lord had no fear of the Lord. And they were doing their own thing and they were making the, the, the religious worship there in the temple. It was a laughing matter. It was a joke. And the people could see right through it. You know what? They despised these guys. They looked at them and they said, those guys are hypocrites. We could see right through it. God's covenant produces a godly fear. God's covenant produces a godly fear. That's what we see in the lives of of Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priesthood in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. 
those guys, man, they ministered in the presence of God. And they realized, hey, I, have, I need to have a deep, profound respect for this God that I am ministering to. There are three words used for fear in the Hebrew language in verse 5. The first word there is morah. It was a covenant of fear, morah. And that word means that there was a feeling of profound respect there in the priesthood when God established his covenant. The same word morah for fear can be seen in Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 8 where we read, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, that's morah, and with signs and wonders. You see, the people saw what God did and it caused in them a deep, profound respect for the God that they served. Isaiah 8 verse 13 is another verse that has the same Hebrew word for fear. It says, but, let, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, morah. Let him be your dread. Okay, so the idea there that God was to strike in the hearts of his people a deep and profound reverence for his greatness, for his honor, for who he is. The second word of fear there in verse 5, it says, he feared me. And that word is, one word is yaire in, in the Hebrew language, yaire. And it means emotion of being terrified or in awe. The emotion of being terrified or in awe of someone. That word is seen in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, if you want to know, if you want to have knowledge, if you want to have a true understanding of life and all things in this world, guess where it starts? It starts with one thing, the fear of the Lord. That emotion of awe. And then the third word for fear in verse 5, Malachi 2, is that it's in that phrase, he stood in awe of my name. And that word is hatav, or hatavtav, hitavtav, sorry, hitavtav. I like saying that word, by the way, hitavtav. I probably say it wrong, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but it means, get this, guys, this is the important part here, the English definition, okay? It means to be shattered inside. It speaks of a psychological destruction of oneself. In other words, it's to be undone. And so God says that the, 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 these first priests with whom I made my covenant, hey, they had an attitude of deep respect for me. They were in awe of me. They had that emotion, an overwhelming sense of awe in my presence, and they were undone in my presence. Listen to me this morning. Have you ever been undone in the presence of our holy God? Have you ever stood before the Lord and had his presence completely overwhelm your life to the point that you can't move? You can't speak. You know that you cannot do anything because you're in the presence of holiness. You're in the presence of majesty. That's what Moses and Aaron and their sons experienced as they ministered to God in the tabernacle. That's what God wants us to experience as we come to his house 
and we give the sacrifice of praise and worship from our hearts. That we would come with a deep respect and emotion that we're in the presence of, of, of a majestic king filled with great power and that he alone has the, has the power and the presence to undo us. That kind of experience with God naturally produces a proper walk with the Lord. When we have been undone in the presence of the living God, what naturally follows, guys, is a relationship that's built on that respect and reverence. Malachi talked about that. He gave those characteristics of a godly walk. That's our second sub-point there. It says God's covenant produces a godly walk. So it not only produces godly fear, it also produces a godly walk. It starts with true talk. Notice there in verse 6, he says that true instruction was in his mouth. True instruction was in his mouth. Guys, I want to ask you as we go through this list this morning to apply these characteristics to your own life. Ask the Lord, hey Lord, what is something that I need to be working on in my life? What is an area that that, that I need to see uh, progress in? Maybe it's starting with the godly fear thing. We'll get more into that as I finish the message. But maybe it's, it's in your words. True talk, true instruction was on his lips, in his mouth. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 19, he said, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Maybe somebody of you need to be praying that this morning. Lord, I need, to, I need you to guard my words. I need you to, to put a, a filter there that my talk, the way that I talk, would be a reflection of your truth. Of who you are. The second one there that he lists is an obedient walk. He says no wrong was found on his lips. This, these men, they had an obedient walk with the Lord. Okay, they took the Lord's words and they said, hey, you know what? That's for me. I need to, I need to live by this. And, and, and that's, maybe that's something that you need to work on. Is, is that your actions... And, 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 you know, actions is thoughts, it's words, and it's what you do. That, that those three areas would be reflective of your relationship with God. You know, speaking of true confessions this week, I, I have to tell you that as I studied this message, I was challenged. First of all, this is a message for priests, and, and, and I am in that position. God has called me to be in that position of a pastor teacher to the church. And it's a heavy responsibility for me. And so this week, God's word was opening me up like a surgeon's knife. And the truth of the Holy Spirit was penetrating my heart as the Lord spoke to me. And there, was, there were several challenges this week in my life. And, and I believe the Lord brings those challenges because he wants me to see what I'm made of. He wants me to see where I am at as a man of God and where you are at as a woman of God. And, and he wants us to see that so that we can, what? So that we can cry out to him, so that we can run to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need to be dependent upon you. The third one that Malachi lists there is a daily relationship. He says that he walked with me in peace and uprightness. 
So that, th- th- those men, they, they were regularly walking with the Lord in peace and uprightness. Are you doing this on a daily basis? Have, or have you gotten away from that and forgotten that Jesus wants a relationship with you? Jesus, the new covenant made in the blood of Jesus Christ, it produces a godly fear when you begin to know who he is. And it produces a daily relationship. Because that's what God wants. We need to recognize every day, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, it's not just for the unbeliever, it's for the believer every day. Fourthly there, he mentions God's heart for the lost. It says that he turned many from iniquity. He turned many back from sin. The idea there that God has a heart for people that are stepping away from the Lord, that are turning their backs and rebelling. God has a heart to go after them and to bring them back to him. How's your heart for the lost? And then, fifthly there, God's heart for his people. Verse 7, he says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Powerful words. God has a heart for this world. And God has a heart for his people. Malachi is God's messenger here. He's bringing the word of God to you and to me this morning. We have a covenant relationship with God based on the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought you and me. He bought us. He paid the price to have a relationship with you and me forever. And sometimes we don't think about the the seriousness of that covenant, what it means But I can guarantee you that God has never forgotten what it means. It cost him everything. It cost him the very best that he had. As he gave of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who came, who suffered and died in your place and in mine. We often wonder, well, how could that prove God's love to us? Well, we're not thinking about the, the, the relationship involved between God the Father and God the Son. See, I have three sons. And I know that I could never stand idly by when one of my sons was tortured and made to suffer and put to death for somebody else. Yet that's what God the Father did. Because of his great love for people, for this world, for you. It was the only way. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There is no other truth in which we find salvation. That true experience from the Lord to you and to me should produce in us a godly fear this morning, a realization of how much God loves and desires your life, my life, to be lived for him. Jesus Christ is our high priest this morning. As we close, I ask you this question, do you dishonor his name? Do you dishonor the name of our high priest 
through perhaps your talk or your walk, through a lack of daily relationship. Perhaps it's seen through the lack of a heart for lost people. Perhaps it is seen through a lack of God's heart for his own people. We need to fear the Lord like the first Levitical priests did. We need to seek to come into his presence and to be undone. How do we do that? How do we do that? I have three things for you this morning to apply to your life as we conclude. First of all, we need to be prayerful. We need to pray. We need to pray. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 8611 this morning. Psalm 8611. Let's read that verse together. Follow along with me. I'm going to hold up just a second. I hear some pages turning, and that's a good thing. Psalm 86.11. This is a prayer from David that I think all of us can, can benefit from and, and, and need to be praying. It says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I want to read that one more time. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I love that. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that we need to pray. Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. You know, too often my heart is diversified. It's distracted. You know, I'm, I can't decide if I'm living for myself or if I'm living for the Lord. I'm divided. I have a divided heart so often. Got my pet sins hanging around. Got my pleasures of life hanging around. Got all these little things that distract me and keep me divided. And, and David says, look, Lord, teach me your way Unite my heart to fear your name. So we start with prayer. We need to pray. Ask God to teach us what it means to fear him. What it means to be undone in the presence of majesty. Secondly though, we need to be reading and meditating on the word of God daily. Okay, This book has been given to you expressly by God so that you can learn who he is. Are are you learning about God and who He is through the study of this book? I pray that that becomes a habit in your life. You've heard me say it before. I say it again and I'll say it till I'm dead. It's read your Bible and pray every single day. Read your Bible and pray every single day. It's that simple, guys. I, I, I would imagine that that seems elementary to you. You, go, you. you know, it's even annoying. Read your Bible and pray every single day. Shut up, Phil. But listen, I, I am always surprised at how many times I ask somebody, what you reading in the Word? And, and I get the answer, oh, well, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've been reading, you know, something, and it's, it's not something from the Word, it's maybe 
a book that they've read or something from a, you know, an online devotional maybe or something like that. And th- those are fine. Those are fine. But they shouldn't take the place of just getting in the Word. Getting in the Word, guys. Meditating. Praying. Daily. That's how, okay, so you and me, we never got to see the Red Sea get parted. We never got to see God do that huge miracle. But that's where meditation comes in. As we read the word, we put ourselves in that story. And we think about it. And we start to go, wow, what would it take for God to part the sea? What would it look like? And, and we begin to become amazed at these things. So that's where the word of God comes in. God wants to teach us who he is as we meditate in it. And then lastly, this morning, we need to obey his commands. Or we need to step out in faith, guys. (laughs) You know how you grow? It's through stepping out in faith. God has a heart for the lost. When's the last time that you spoke to a lost person and shared the good news of Jesus Christ? And, And what he means to you with them. And it doesn't have to be the cookie-cutter religious approach to doing that. It can be a real-life connection, someone you genuinely care about. And you just say, hey, man, why don't you come to church with me? Or, man, I I need to sit down and share this with you as we go through life together. I noticed this, and I want to talk to you about it because I love you. So those conversations, they need to happen. But that's, that's all part of obeying God's commands. As we step out to obey, we grow. We grow in maturity. God adds to our spiritual lives. So that's how we develop the fear of God in our lives. It's through doing things. It's through prayer. It's through reading and meditating. And then it's through actually stepping out and doing something. As you attempt to live out God's word, you will see how great and mighty he is. How awesome he is. I'm excited for the graduates again on this Sunday. Uh, So many of them are stepping out into a new phase of life. Now, let's remember what that was like. How many of you guys remember what that was like? So we remember what it was like when we graduated, right? That feeling of emptiness, you know, and you're going, oh, man, (laughs) what am I going to do? Oh, my goodness, you know. And all the reality of all those questions that people have been asking you for so long. So, so what are you going to do after you graduate? You know, you get sick of hearing that question, don't you guys? How many of you got sick of hearing, what are you doing after you graduate, you know? But that's, it's an interesting time. And, and it's, it's a time when we just have to step out in faith. We have to just step out in faith and just go, you know what, God? I really don't know what you have in store for my life yet. You have not given me that 10-point clear vision yet. So I'm just going to go for it. And you know what I found is that as I stepped out, the Lord began to direct me and to guide me. And God put me where I needed to be. And he did the things in my life that he needed to do to bring me to where I am today. And he's still doing that, guys. He's still working on me. And that's the great thing about the Lord is that he never stops working on us. So guys, pray, read your Bibles, and step out in faith. You'll see God do great and amazing things in your lives. And that let the fear of the Lord be that foundational factor that causes you to stay true and to walk the walk that God has for you. We're going to pray and close our message this morning.